is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this is an adult podcast hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language being used. If this might offend ears around you, be sure to pop in your headphones before listening to this episode. Today's guest is a close friend of mine, in addition to being a talented photographer, musician, designer, and is a marketing and design associate at the Creative Alliance here in Baltimore. Micah E. Wood received his BFA in photography at the Maryland Institute College of Art, which is where we became best buds. So thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for and, having me. Uh, and it was great that I got to see you like a half hour ago. So do you want to talk a little bit about your creative journey thus far? Just kind of your background sure uh when i was like 16 or 17 uh i was probably bad at everything like every 16 17 year old that wasn't a jock um i was bad at all things that mattered and uh i think i got like a pocket camera because i started going to shows uh my first ever show was uh 14 years old kanye west and then 15 years old regina specter so you start to think you start wow. you start to think like fuck, and you start bringing a camera. So then <laughs> you get a camera, a little pocket camera, and I took a photo of Gogo Bordello that oh I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, I was in the front row. I was terrified. If you don't know Gogo Bordello, they're a um, Jewish gypsy punk group, and you will <laughs> never sweat or be more terrified in your life. Uh, I went to one of their shows, and in the process of like t- being squished and scared, I took a picture, and this photo looked like a portrait of someone that was like in a studio with you, and like it was all planned out. I was like, "Oh man, this is what I'm good at. I like this." And then I've been playing violin since I was four, and so music is just something that's been like a requirement for so much of my life, and now it's a choice. I completely forget that you have violin background too. Oh yes, fiddle, fiddle boy. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have some archery skills. Oh yeah, that's not part of my studio practices. Okay. <laughs> and was this in Baltimore? Did you grow up in Maryland, Mike? Oh, I grew up in uh, Newport News, Virginia. Uh, you might know it for literally nothing. Uh, it's between. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that place. It's between uh, like Virginia Beach and Richmond, and those are very far apart, like about an hour and a half apart. So in that giant amount of space, there is a city called Newport News. It is near Hampton, which is more notable. Uh, and there's not a lot of art there. I mean, most of the artists like get out of there pretty quick or like move to Richmond or like Virginia Beach or Norfolk and like get out of the direct area. Um, but a lot of hip-hop and r&b started in norfolk virginia which is like 30 minutes from where i grew up so it was like easy to find a lot of like hip-hop and r&b influence from the area if you looked hard enough Hmm. and then nothing else that was relevant to like my brother and i and then we moved to baltimore and then now he lives in new york and i've stayed here for the last eight years so is that where you were going to see a lot of these shows when you were a teenager yeah you had to drive to like norfolk or or richmond which i wasn't allowed to go that far but norfolk yeah (laughs) Okay. And so you discovered this love for photography Mm -hmm. as a teenager. And then um, when it it came time to uh, for you to be looking at colleges, were you almost exclusively considering art schools? Is that something that you knew that you wanted to um, pursue as a path at that point? As I 
past that, I wasn't good at anything else. Uh, so art was like the one thing where I was like, I had semi confidence in. So um, mm-hmm. like feeling like, oh, I'm I might be good at something. So, yeah, art school was always like as soon as I started thinking of college, like 16 and a half, 17, art school was the only option in my mind. Um, I thought at one point when I was younger, I thought about being like an interior decorator. I wish the podcast viewers could see my room now because they'd realize hmm, that dream wouldn't, wouldn't be very possible. <laughs> I'm like, yes, tack some posters on the wall that maybe are good. That's my interior decoration now. But at the time, I watched a lot of HGTV and Sex in the City. And let me tell you, I was like, interiors, baby. <laughs> interiors. Oh my this god, is the future. <laughs> yeah, but I was watching the like TBS or CBS version of Sex in the City, so it was just like and the city. There was no sex, so really you just like it was just like cocktails and fancy Very houses. Heavily edited. Yeah. I was to say, I feel like you don't even know who Samantha is at that point. Do you even no. see any of her scenes? <laughs> but her apartment, Samantha, lovely. Who's that? Oh yeah, she had a cool spot, especially when we when she moved into the meatpacking district. Yeah, I follow See, the series. I only watched the TBS version of it, so I don't know if Meatpacking District is an innuendo, but... <laughs> well, for Samantha, it was. Yes, great. But yeah, so that's where I went to for a lot of shows, and then I moved to Baltimore and realized shows were everywhere and not just in the bigger places, and I started seeing art mm-hmm. everywhere and not at the like two places that showed art in the city and not just during the one time of year when the high school would hang up art. Like I started seeing it everywhere, and I chose Micah specifically even though it's the same name as mine because it was so great and I applied to a few places but they just weren't when I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art like portfolio reviews they were like oh dude you don't need to do anything besides photography I was I was like putting in paintings and drawings and I didn't know what I was doing because everyone told me I had to and they were like no these are pretty bad but your photography is great and that's how I decided I was going to go there and choose Baltimore was I liked Baltimore from concept and I liked the fact that I was allowed to just do what I was doing instead of having to like pretend to be something else yeah Mm -hmm. but do you want to talk a little bit about your freelance photo career that you have going on right now sure yeah so probably a little before I graduated I started doing freelance photography and a lot of it nowadays is for artists themselves and for my alma mater Micah I do a lot of freelance for them like all different departments and it's kind of a cool feeling like I know a lot of people move out of the city but it's kind of a nice honor when different departments of the school you went to ask you to like photograph things and it's always like fun different Mm -hmm. things and it's cool like being back around creativity I think that's why like in my freelance I photograph bands artists uh, I document artist work and then like school events and like a few different businessy events I've done I've never, I've only done like two weddings ever, but not in the last like six years. Um, So like, it's very much based around like events and people. Yeah. And so for me, I just have to have some kind of selfishly have to have some kind of art in there. You know, like if it's an event of some sort, I can do it as long as like, maybe it's the people that I'm thinking of as like my main subject that I want to like photograph and really capture. But when I'm documenting people's work, it's their art. When I'm documenting people, it's finding a photo that conveys their work. And so a lot of my freelance came from teachers I had or teachers who taught my brother or artists I photographed in the past for my own gain, like my own art, rehire me back to do their album covers, their press photos, their merch photos, whatever. So it's just my freelance career is a lot of like working with friends or future friends. Like, and I luckily don't have too many scenarios where I'm working for like what feels very Mm clienty. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask because you're also a musician yourself, and mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like you got really involved in the Baltimore music scene uh, as soon as you moved there for college. So did a lot of maybe what have now evolved into freelance clients or projects um, that are you know helping to sustain you. Did those just start out as you, you know you're you're photographing for friends as you're learning um, as a student, and you know like were those starting out as freelance projects or were these things that really just started to evolve organically through the friendships and community that you're building? Well, I mean, it sounds diabolical. Like it seems like I achieved all these things just by building up rapports. Like if that was like my end goal, but it's just Mm -hmm. business has to always be a little bit part of everything you do in the arts. If you want to be successful and you have, it's like the hard thing every day is to remember that half of what you love to do has to be business. Even if you don't love the business part of it, you know, it has to be. So like, sure. As soon as I got to a point in college where I understood business and freelance and I started actually doing it, I always thought like I'm doing this because it could benefit me in some way, but that's just the way of justifying spending money that you aren't getting back. You know, it's like a mental game. Like you have to tell yourself like this could turn into freelance Because it could, but it's like a justification for doing something you're excited about. So a lot of these artists I would photograph were just like people I wanted to photograph. And then it got to to a point where it was like silly for me not to be charging or not faithful to myself to make myself do all this work that wasn't like paid for. Yeah, it was just I booked bands for, for, for the college when I was there. And that's how I met a lot of them. And they introduced me to other people. And they're like, oh, he does photography. And like. I had only done live band photography and I did like one rap photo shoot when I was a senior in high school. They're really good. They're in front of graffiti. Uh, <laughs> so you can peep those hopefully ne- nowhere, maybe Flickr. Um, <laughs> but like I learned photographing rappers in Virginia and it's all I knew. So when I started like photographing rappers in Baltimore, that's when I started really understanding where I wanted to sit. And it was like photographing musicians. And I think it wasn't just like photographing rappers that taught me how to photograph rappers but like most rappers are pretty confident or at least they know how they want to be seen and like learning how to photograph people that know how they want to be viewed made me realize that everyone kind of knows how they want to be viewed in some ways and like finding that in people makes it really easy to convey it and that's how like people want to keep coming back to you because you make them look the way they want to be looked at without you altering them like you're finding who they really want to be seen as not who they're not if that makes sense. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And regarding that, um, it's almost a work exchange. Like you provide the service mm-hmm. of photographs and they provide the service of a, a model and a subject. And yep. it's very similar, I think, in a lot of the art world is you do this trade of, ger- of you know, goods and services. And when it's a bunch of creatives, you can offer a very wide variety of options. Like maybe I'll take some photos for you. And you will model for me and like I get to use those photos, you get to use those photos and they're beneficial for both of us. Whereas me at a craft show, you know, I'll say, hey, I really love your work. You love my work. We can trade and then we're both able to to own this. And I think that's such a beneficial way to build up your portfolio, to build up your collection and also just to be able to support the people that you respect and believe in. And I know I've watched you network very authentically, because even though you do gain a lot from the people that you connect with, you make it a point to connect with people because you care and because you you want to get to know them. And I think that that conveys so well in the relationships that you have built in the art and music communities, because there is that authenticity. 
and I've seen you grow so much from that, but it's important to remember to be authentic. And I think it's, I don't know, it's such a weird thing to think about. Well, it's like, except for when freelance clients ask me to photograph them, in most scenarios, I don't want to photo, I don't know that I truly want to photograph someone until I get to know them. Mm -hmm. It's why, like, I always say, like, if you have an hour with a client, in any regard maybe they need to tell you what they want out of it for part of it but you should spend at least half of your time getting to know them it will make life easier when it comes to clients like and you disagreeing on things because like you might not have that disagreement if you truly understand where they're coming from and then i don't know hey it's nice getting to know people and like fully understanding them you're gonna get a better artistic outcome if you know what they want and what they enjoy and whatnot so like If someone gave me 20 minutes to photograph them, I would spend 10 whole minutes trying to get to know them and then rush to take the photos later because a fast photo will be better if you know what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And you have that base of friendship or at least having some sort of relationship with that person. And then it really moves beyond something that's transactional and into something that is um, just like you're describing, Amanda, more uh, authentic or... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, more about that connection. Um, Do you have any experiences in your creative career that have really moved it forward or just changed the way that you thought about your career? Like, you know, be it freelance clients or, you know, just certain jobs or situations? I have done freelance that has been less enjoyable and I've done freelance that has felt less creative and I've done jobs that have felt less creative. For me, it was deciding that I'm okay with working a day job that is not the exact medium that I work in so that I won't be burnt out at the end of the day. Like it's like when some people like choose to like bartend instead of going and finding like say they're a screen printer instead of finding like a an assisting position at a screen pl- printing place so like if I can't fully be the one screen printing all the time, I would rather my day job be something else. So when I come home, I want to work. So for me, I worked in a non-artistic field for, it was like mental side of things in my day job for four years. And then now I'm working at a creative place where I'm surrounded by creative people. But I also do design, which is what I concentrated in, but I don't do photography and I don't do music. Mm -hmm. So when I come home, I'm always like, like ready. I like, unless I'm like fit, so physically exhausted, which luckily most days I'm not. I come home and I'm like, all right, how am I going to create? Or if, I, if I'm going to bed and I haven't created, and when I say created, I mean I haven't done any art that day, wrote any ideas of any sort, or even sent any emails or correspondence about anything artistic related, which there's rare days when you truly don't make any art. A lot of people just don't count all the business time as it. But on those days when I haven't done anything artistic, I'll just sit there and like fiddle with my keyboard like my piano or I'll like try and make a beat and if it doesn't feel organic you know I try it I go to bed but most time something comes out of it just because you you don't realize how much your mind is racing to make work unless you give it somewhere to run I guess I don't know yeah yeah it sounds like you're really intentionally kind of spreading out these creative outlets so that they're feeding into one another as opposed to draining each other or like you said making it a point to find a a creative day job that is kind of feeding one area of interest so that you can um, pursue the others on your own time 
um, in the way that you really want to. And I also just like the way that you describe your studio time as being really inclusive of all those other things, even email correspondence that you might send and just all of the, the work that goes into it um, and, and not even just, you know, the photography itself or, you know, actually sitting down to, to write a song. But um, that's something we've talked a little bit about in the past. And I think that, you know, despite how, how fluid we can be in the studio and in our thinking as artists, um, sometimes, I, you know, I think I segment those things out a little too much. And, you know, I create those divisions for um, like what qualifies as studio time and what doesn't. Um, so I think it's really easy to overlook the the ways that you're you're kind of moving your work forward as an artist that don't necessarily involve, you know, being in a studio or sitting down to draw or write or, you know, whatever that looks like for you. But that, you know, it's really the the combination of all those things together. Well, anytime that you're not mentally or creatively physically standing still or maybe conceptually standing still, you're moving. So like when people think like, oh, I haven't done anything artistic lately but maybe they've been working on a freelance project that is art related or they've just been drawing in their sketchbook or they've been making plans in their notes like 98 percent of my iphone notes app and voice memo app are like song ideas or photo ideas like if i can't type right now sometimes i'll just go in voice memo and like mention idea or you go in your phone and you drop a pin on a location when you see something like really beautiful and you want to remember that yep. spot like that's <laughs> that's work you're planning it's the planning stage that some people are, oh i'm not planners but they just don't realize that they're planning all the time they just might not be setting a plan yeah that's that's very true and that's something i know as a maker i have to factor in with my pricing and how i'm paying myself mm-hmm is I need to remember the time I'm using researching and sketching out ideas and trimming up the materials and cutting the wood and foraging for the wood and attaching the pieces. Like You have to pay yourself for your mental energy, but also recognize that that is still creative time, even if you're not actually taking the photo, making the brush strokes or the marks. Like You're still using that creative energy and... You need to kind of give yourself grace and, and time for that as well. Well, how many times have you or a friend said they're frustrated because they haven't made any work lately, which is making them not be motivated to make any work, right? All like, the time. I mean, they won't say it like that, but they say they're artistically frustrated because they can't think of anything, so they're not making work. See, if you're frustrated and mad at yourself for not making work, you're probably going to continue to not making work, yeah. you know? And so, like, there's no, like, it's with anything with mental health. There's no waking up one day and feeling great. There's no waking up one day and, like, making good work all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. But it's like if you stop beating yourself up so much about the fact that you aren't making work, you might start making work. If you start realizing all the things you've done to try and make work, you probably are already working. Like, you know, like, it's going to get there. It just, you just have to keep remembering the things you're doing, those things that you would count yourself as money and time for or if you're working a nine to five job you're being paid to be somewhere so when you're walking around to like go get copies and do all these things you're working so why an artistic form would it not be making art you know why would it not be it's the same thing yeah so micah how did you feel like there was a a big learning curve for you in just developing some of this like business acumen and skill set as you're starting to, you know, take on more freelance projects. And um, especially now that that's such a, you know, big part of 
your career and sustaining your life, what were some of the things that you felt like you really had to learn along the way, whether it's like developing contracts or learning how to price out and account for all of that time or um, price projects? What were some of the things that you were, um, you know, having to, to learn as you went along? The thing that I'm still dealing with, and I think everyone does, and I feel like I have this conversation with friends all the time, is uh, the pricing yourself correctly. Because you might get mm-hmm. to a point where you understand what you're supposed to be paid, but it doesn't mean that you're comfortable asking for it. Yep. It's that's so I'm starting to understand my value in time. And when you first are starting off, it's a lot of understanding that like, okay, say you went to college for four years for something, or say you've just been practicing it for four years, you have four years experience. So in all business sense, that raises your price, right? So you've got to factor in all these things, but then you also have to factor in your experience with that type of shoot. Like I am more comfortable charging more money for events than I am if, well, first off, if it was a friend, it'd be different. But like someone asked me to photograph a wedding party and I said yes to it because it wasn't a wedding and there's a lot of pressures behind getting that first kiss and doing all those things. And I just don't want to ruin someone's moment like that. But a wedding party's easy. You know, it's just people having fun. I've done events but I haven't done very many wedding parties. So I was more willing to do it for slightly less than I would an event because I personally find it as a learning curve. I feel like I'm going to gain something from this that I wouldn't have before. So therefore it has artistic value and mental value to me, but I also don't have the experience to feel like I can back up my price. So it's learning to be okay with having different prices for different forms of art and different forms of even just your main art. I don't know much about textile art, but say you're better at one part of it than you're another, or even if you're like, I'm better at 3D printing and learning all about 3D printing than I am like using a laser cutter. You would price yourself different based on your experiences and you would also price yourself different on what you could gain out of it. If I can gain something out of a scenario, I'm not necessarily like businessly, like maybe not like, if I can gain clout or traction, but if I can gain something like emotional or physical out of something or gain something creatively out of something, I'll be more willing to do it for much cheaper. I still won't price myself at that, you know? It's just where you're willing to flex. So like if I'm in a scenario and they're like, oh, our budget's only this and it's really low and like you're moving things around for this and there's just not enough positives, then of course you you move on to something else. But if there's something where they're like, their budget's lower than you wanted, but like, ooh, that sounds fun, or I haven't done that before, or I can gain something out of it, there's flexibility to adjust your price. So it's it's finding your price by finding out peers, having conversations, learning from other people that have like come before you and, and have been in your shoes. So like talking to your the people you look up to. A lot of people think more people are scared to talk about money than really are where it's not gonna be the first thing we want to talk about but if you look up to someone and they've been doing it like if someone came to me and wanted to talk money which friends do sometimes i'll do it you know i'll tell them where i started i'll tell them where i'm going and i'll tell them what i should be making and what i actually charge um because there's definitely a difference but that conversation is like always someone's like hey micah like um can you talk to me about this and they're always like super nervous because it's money But it's like, you've got to know. I asked people when I was starting, if I could give advice, it would be if you know people that are older than you or not necessarily age, but have been doing what you're doing and you can find that person to look up to, talk to them about it. Talk to them about money. Talk to them about business. Talk to them about about anything that has to do with pricing themselves. Because as Amanda said, there are artistic exchanges. 
So it's knowing where your value sits in relation to the value of the thing you're exchanging for. Obviously, you're not going to be like, my art's worth about 10 whatever art tokens you want to throw at it. (laughs) And you owe me this much work. But it is knowing that like, you know what? I'm doing all this work that is taking me a good amount of hours, but it's worth it. Like my roommate's one of the best designers I've ever met. He's amazing. And I document all of his work for his website. I took his headshot. And I did all that before he was really making work like he was. And now at this point, I probably owe him because he makes me so many posters and we just haven't documented (laughs) them in forever. But we just have this like running, non-existent running tab. But it's knowing that like the value of that in relation, like I don't feel bad because of how much work I did is equating to a lot of the work he did. Opposed to me and be like, man, now it's now it's my turn. Like maybe soon maybe soon he makes me a lot of posters he's very good shout out to him (laughs) it's almost like i don't know when you go out with friends on a regular basis where it's like oh i'll get this lunch i know you'll get the next one and i'll get another one and it's like you don't even worry about it because you know in the end it's gonna even out and you know or it's worth it for the moment yeah i was just gonna say that it's like you were describing earlier that kind of creative exchange that can really take place and and just the idea of sort of trading um, with each other too like that's a really powerful form of currency that we have as artists and that we you know have the benefit of being able to do is to share um, you know with each other what our skills and talents are so you know I've traded paintings in the past for like design work or photography and I just think that's really um, a special thing that we get to kind of take advantage of as part of this creative community we're in that you know it's um, it's a little bit different than being like hired out for a project by uh, a corporation or something right like that's um, a little more work for hire and the the kind of thing that you're talking about, I feel like has more to do with building this sort of creative community where we're all mutually benefiting and and helping each other out. And, um, you know, again, it kind of comes back to relationships. So something that's also kind of interesting about the way that you're talking about pricing your work is that it's a little... Well, one, it seems like you've kind of developed this sliding scale for um, projects based on... Um, a lot of different factors weighing, you know, what are what are the pros and cons, and you know, some of that is monetary. But it, it sounds like the way that you're evaluating those situations is a little more inclusive, even yeah. like you know, again, thinking about what might be beneficial to you in terms of is this a learning experience for me? You know, are there future projects that are going to come out of this? And not to say, you know, I know that there's a really clear distinction between that and the idea of sort of working for exposure, which I feel like are, you know, all artists have kind of dealt with those those offers right, and yeah. that can kind of undermine the creative work that you do and so I feel like what you're talking about is a little bit different than that so it's more it's more like if I truly believe in an artist like I photograph a lot of musicians so if I truly believe in them it's not like they're gonna get famous someday and my photos will be worth something because like what are the odds okay. of that but it's that I truly believe in them and their success So like, A, I'm willing to do something for cheaper for someone that I believe in because I want them to have good photos. I want to help them out. That just comes from like, um, I don't want to say it's like human decencies because it's your business. You're allowed to do whatever you want. You're not a bad person for not wanting to do like cheap things for people around you. It's just for me, that's like one of the ways I keep the fun and creativity is like finding those projects where I can help people out because they're things I truly Mm -hmm. believe in. Rarely are they scenarios where like, hey, will you do this for me? for this price or will you do this for me for free if someone ever asked me those kind of things i'm like uh no thank you but like if i see an opportunity where i'm like hey i would love to photograph you 
very different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's me pursuing almost it's well, then it becomes my work, you know, and maybe they can use it for their own benefit. And their benefit is that they're working with someone like it used to start off by people working with someone they didn't really know because they're like, what do I have to lose? Now it's most of the time people being like, oh, would you really like I love your work? And like, that's really flattering to see. But it's those moments of connect that I didn't used to have. And it's happening from doing it so much in like a scene like Baltimore that's kind of small where people start Mm -hmm. recognizing people that aren't doing that that much but like you know they start seeing people like me doing what I do because they see it on Instagram or around or whatever although it's raising my monetary profile in for in those people's eyes it doesn't mean it can raise what they can pay you know and they're fun scenarios and they're people that I photograph that create some of the best work I've ever photographed to kind of like take on the corporate because you're mentioning corporate to take on that real quick I mean I've done freelance for Urban, but mostly for their blog. But, like, here's a great example. Uh, First off, their blog has less money than, like, Urban Corporate. I'm not rolling in that Urban money. (laughs) You mean Urban Outdoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Dreams, no. Uh, But their Urban, like, blog is, like, it's cool. And they, I had a a friend of a friend that worked there that was looking for someone in Baltimore. Um, Friend recommended me. It was, like, on a day that I was working, so I instantly got someone to cover it because I was like, this could be a good opportunity. Did the freelance. I've now done, I think, five other freelance gigs for them. It all started from just, like, inconveniently moving my schedule to fit this small-scale thing. Like, it was just like, hey, can you photograph this artist in Baltimore that made some shirts for us for our blog? So they kind of have the same budget every time because it's, like, by post or whatever. And then one time they're like, hey, we only have a week for a project and our budget's a little smaller. And they told me what it was, but they wanted me to photograph um, landscapes and like color, like searching for color, but using their Polaroid cameras. And like, I'm not a Polaroid photographer. I don't know much of anything about Polaroid besides like, I mean, we all were in high school and we're like, oh, I went to the thrift store and bought this Polaroid camera. Whoa. It's not like (laughs) nowadays. Hey, we're talking to, I mean, I'm that person. I'll be real. (laughs) Yeah. She always has been from the first time we met. I was like, oh, look at this Polaroid girl. No, just kidding. Look uh, Amanda. Look at my Polaroid camera. <laughs> uh, look. <laughs> no, no. But like, I mean, I bought one and they're cool. But I just never like, I have friends that like truly understand the art of Polaroid. And they're talking like the old Polaroids, like the ones where you peel apart them. I have multiple friends that do that. And Hey, we already interviewed Rachel. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Um, but But I've got a few friends that do that. And it's so interesting. But I just don't know anything about it. And I I pride myself on knowing a good amount about photography. So when they said this, but they said the budget was smaller, I was like, I'll do it. Because I saw a moment where not only could like maybe it heighten my exposure or whatever, but it also it also was a cool opportunity to like learn Polaroid. And they added in the fact that they were going to interview me on it. So like that also got me like more press in that regard. And I was like, all right, but if you're interviewing me, you got to interview me about music, too. And so then it heightened everything. And I got paid and I learned how to use a Polaroid camera for the first time in 10 years. So, you know, there are those jobs that are like worth it, just even though they're less money because you're like, this has a lot of cool things in factoring here. And that actually leads me to a question based off of a conversation we had a couple days ago, which uh, so many times, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast in the first place was so many times I've had conversations with artists where I have just gained so much knowledge from that interaction. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had had a recording of it because I am incredibly forgetful and I just get so enthusiastic about every conversation that at each point where I'm like, yes, I've like already forgotten the last one. 
So when we were talking the other day and you were talking about how you require people that interview you, whether they're coming at you for photography or about music, you make it a point to talk about both. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so you've got to decide what your brand is and whether you have multiple brands. Like what I always found interesting being friends with Amanda is Amanda has Amanda Adams, which is like her photography and her work. And then she has Close Call Studio. And she's always kept those very separate. And I, I was there when she made that decision. I was there. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I do remember when she was deciding between those two. And I always decided the opposite, but both have worked for us in our own regards. So like for me, I chose that everything is me because everything I do is like, like my music is pretty personal and I already was using my name for photography. So it was like a little too late at that point. So I was like, I can't name something else for my music because it's literally like diary entry personal. I feel like I have to just tell you it's me. I already was using Micah E. Wood for photography. So I was like, well, out of names. But I took that moment to kind of decide that like I could either start a band name or start something else or I could just admit and let everyone know that everything I do is Micah E. Wood. And it is an important thing you have to realize because you spend so much of your time either being yourself or being... Amanda's talked to me about like being close call studios and how people like... There is a little disconnect, you know, where, you know, it, it can feel like it's multiple people. She brings a personal side of it because of like her Instagram stories and like letting people see into her life. But it's like having that divide can be a very cool thing. And then not having that divide can sometimes teach a lot of people a lot about you. But yeah. you keep consistent to your brand. And that way, like you've got to accept you've got to accept the fact that like someone might hear your music and be like, oh, I love this. And then see your photography and go, oof. Or see your photography and be like, oh my God, he's my favorite photographer. And then hear his music and be like, wow, that ruined it for me. His music is <laughs> awful. So like you have to, if you're going to brand everything as you, you have to every day be okay with someone hearing and seeing both. Yeah. Until you're confident about it, you're not going to be able to use the pros to having two art forms. Because when you think about it, if you do two of anything, they both can benefit the other one. So like, I photograph musicians I have for the last 10 years and now I'm making solo music. So now all of a sudden I was never planning on making solo music. It wasn't a goal where I was like, I'm going to sing in front of people because I wasn't born with a voice to do that. Um, but you go, whoa, all these people have been photographing for all these years are my friends. Maybe they would want to collaborate and they do. And it's really cool to be able to combine those things. And then people can also see the people that sing on my songs like, oh, let me look up this artist. If for some reason they've discovered me before them, I'd be impressed. But they, you know, Google the people that are on my record and see that I photograph them. And then like, you know, seeing that whole connection or going to my page for one reason and sticking around for the photos or something. Yeah. It's just all it's all me. And it's, it's how I just chose to brand it. Do you have any strategies or like a schedule that you keep to regarding how much time and energy you dedicate to each creative aspect of your I guess just your creative creativity in general um yeah if you're balancing multiple I don't even want to say just if you're balancing multiple art forms because like everyone who makes art has a second thing they just might not do it all the time like you don't realize what it is all the time but for me, balancing them is finding, sometimes it's just simply seeing what you feel like doing, you know, but for me, driving to work is a lot of time when I practice music. Like if I wrote, uh, like if I made a song the night before, but I didn't have words, 
I'll like uh, play it on the way to work and just let me hear it a bunch of times until I come up with words. And that's a time where I can't be doing other art. It would be ill-advised to take photos while driving. It would be <laughs> ill-advised to to um, try and play piano or uh, try and return some emails. But it is a great time to just sing along to something or write something. And so then it makes a lot of my in-studio time great to focus on photography like, if I'm sitting at my desk, I'm probably working on photography. If I'm laying in bed, I'm probably making a song. And so, like, finding, kind of having multiple spaces, like having a studio is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Having places that re- make you think to do certain art is helpful. But, yeah, I divide it all up by, like, I work uh, 10 to 7 jobs, sometimes 10 to 6, depending on the day. And I destined to and from as music because you've got to remember that everything you do that has art around you, like, if you listen to podcasts about art, if you listen to music, if you listen to TV shows and you do film, basically everything you can do can be research. So like if I'm driving to work and I'm listening to like a podcast like Song Exploder, I'm listening to them tear so apart good. a song. It's amazing. I'm listening to them tear apart a song. If I listen to an album on the way to work, research. If I sit at work and listen to music while I'm designing something, double research. And so <laughs> you're literally like, surrounded by it so if you just remember that all of that is art and you section it off then a you're never going to feel like you're not doing anything but b you are constantly working and you're constantly researching so it's like finding a place and a time for everything you do is just honestly it's not not stopping because i i get a good seven hours all right when i sleep don't worry but it's (laughs) it's it's using every second you have otherwise working on things or finding things that can push you do you and this is something this honestly is probably more of just a personal question but do you Mm, love because i I know uh and personal is in i'm asking for my personal knowledge oh got it uh not getting personal necessarily she knows it all people can just turn on your music and they get as personal as you get here (laughs) your deepest target yeah But I... I'm an open book, baby. I'm an open book. (laughs) (laughs) Something about my personality is that I highly value productivity. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's something that I I probably recognized from my dad's work ethic and applied to my own. Mm -hmm. Is I really, really value times that I'm being productive. And it's hard for me to justify actions if I can't consider them as productive. So like, I cancel a lot of plans with friends, I spend a lot of time home, because I know I can be productive at home. But if I'm going out, I I don't know how to necessarily quantify that productivity, if it's there. But do you feel that guilt of productivity when you're not doing things that you justify as being productive but also (laughs) recognizing the struggle of having a work and a balance of your life and taking time for yourself i don't know if that makes any sense it does uh first question for both of you guys before i answer that question is have you ever sent an email while at a bar for professional purposes probably I once. I'm not sure if that specific situation applies, but I definitely. I mean, I'm with you, Amanda. I feel like I experienced that same level of guilt and anxiety. Um, and you know, I I close myself off from opportunities for for rest or to be social or just you know things that again, like I'm not. I don't necessarily consider to be work related, which is really unhealthy. 
And um, so, yeah, to answer your question, Mike, I guess, yes. Um, I mean, there's definitely instances where, you know, I'm, I'm like multitasking. I'm on my phone and I could be sending out an email or, you know, writing down an idea or whatever while I'm doing something else, which is supposed to be not really the best. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't advise it. I think it takes you away from the present moment and whatever else you're doing. And there's a time and a place for everything. And maybe sending emails at the bar is not. I've literally literally danced and sent a professional email at the same time. Uh, But it's mainly because I had a good idea and I had to get it out right then. See, like I'm not I'm not like sitting there like working off the clock because it's not for my day job. It was for me. But, like, it's, like, kind of how you can think of ideas anywhere. Like, I mean, I have probably looked like a crazy person walking down the street humming into my phone with a good idea. I try and do it quiet because I don't want to look too crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to, like, really walk that line. But, like, uh, or writing notes. Or I've literally pulled over the car before to, like, park for a second and, like, write a note out that of something I had. If it was, like, song lyrics or, like, Siri to dictate. Super useful when, like, coming up with ideas. So, like, ideas come for you anywhere so like sometimes I'll have an idea for something or for a client and I want to email them right back right then and so yeah that's sometimes what I'll do but what's interesting about I think you were saying like do I feel guilty going out and stuff like that I mean I mainly feel guilty because I have a really cute dog that I want to come home to and that guilt gets (laughs) me home and then when I'm at home I make a lot of work so like the want to not leave him alone leads me to a lot of good work but for for me what's interesting and this is with photographing musicians and working with musicians and working with artists and running into people it is weird how much networking can be done at shows i always joke that the crap the- yeah especially in your case yeah the kind of work that you do even before i started doing solo music though the crown in baltimore became a better linkedin for me than linkedin you know, like you run into random Baltimore artists. This isn't like a name drop, right? Because we're only semi-friends. We've only like talked like five times. So the disclaimer here is I'm not saying I'm cool, all right? <laughs> and I'm not saying we're buddies. I'm not saying we go to brunch. But there's this dude who's really awesome. His name's Devin Allen. I don't know if you've ever met him or heard of him. He's very fantastic. Sure. He's the one that during the uprising took those photos that got on the cover of Time. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't know what he looked like. I just knew his work. I didn't follow him on Instagram yet, even though I had thought about it. I like recently like been looking into it past the like Time magazine because like a lot of people like got hip to him right then, and I'm just like not fast on those things. And so I was like, I just started hearing his name when there was like starting to be like more press of like the year after when they were then starting to talk about it. So I knew his name, and then I was at the Crown, and this guy I photographed for my junior seminar so like three years before this this rapper this guy mo he actually um so uh the sidebar here is i made i made a book last year but it was it was a magazine beforehand i was trying to make but um this dude i photographed for his name's mo he went to micah also he was there and he's like yo two of my favorite photographers are right here and i was like oh who are the two people here but he was speaking of me which was cute but it was talking about me and this dude, Devin Allen. And he was like, oh, there's Devin Allen. I was like, oh, cool. I was like, it like clicked for a second because I didn't recognize his face. I was like, oh, I know where I know that name. And so it was like really cool to like almost organically just meet in that scenario without having to like be fanboying or whatever. You know, it was like cool to just like meet someone in this scenario. And then like we followed each other and we talk photos sometimes, but rarely, you know, once again, not saying I'm cool. I'm just saying... 
it is like cool where you can just like run into someone like that and get organic conversation it's like it's like artistic speed dating in the music world sometimes if you just like <laughs> let yourself be open to be introduced to someone and it is socially uncomfortable and it's awkward and if you have social anxiety like i sometimes still do it comes and goes it is hard when someone just like throws you at someone and goes you two should meet but sometimes you two should meet yeah there are moments where going out and having fun can benefit you but the problem is you can't fully shut off if that makes sense like if i go out and i might meet someone that might be like a professional thing or like a artistic friend or whatever you kind of had to keep a little business in your pocket and you're not allowed to just go be carefree i guess you don't want to be totally wasted in the bar when you could potentially meet a like a really incredible client or unless they're also wasted but uh <laughs> no i my advice is i am never wasted so it's really easy to not be wasted around your heroes that is true i think in the like eight years of friendship the only time that i've seen you really drunk are times that i've been like here let me keep making you drinks it's always Sorry, it's always anywhere. Amanda and her husband's fault. Blame well, them. Mike is a very enthusiastic person and he doesn't want the fun to end. So he, you know, encourages you to continue so that the fun doesn't end. For podcast people, they're both very good looking. So uh, it's very persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> Gets me Mike looks time. like Morrissey, not yeah. contemporary Morrissey. Morrissey's he, best years. He looks, like an, he looks like an old man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you have any like tools or resources that you use in your business? Like something that you use that kind of helps with efficiency? Uh, yeah, honestly, like, I don't know how to stress this enough or not sound like a millennial, but my phone uh, is everything. <laughs> a lot of like, especially if it's one of the newer iPhones, some cameras are so nice. I take like draft photos on there like if i take a photo and i might want to come back to a place i take a photo of it and most of the time it has like a little geolocation at the top because you know like location services and stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> you can use it all to your benefit um i have notes i have folders and notes uh i have folders divided up by music albums i'm working on poetry works ideas just a folder of hashtags for instagram business <laughs> unfinished lyrics i have a folder in here just for like um good veggie recipes you know so everything is in my notes folders and i use it for like anything and everything i even sometimes have reminders set to remind me about a note at a later time like you write a lengthy note you can then say like you can then like put in your reminders hey check your note when you get home or at like at 7 p.m or something reminders notes and just the camera in my phone are some of the most useful things I could ever imagine. Like I grew up my whole life with ADHD and it's finally at a much better place, but I still have a constant fear. I'm going to forget something now that I no longer take medicine. Now it's been three years and I haven't really forgotten anything major, but I still, I still worry because what if I already forgot it? Yeah. How do I know if I forgot it, if I forgot it, right? Oh yeah. I, get the same way like I was definitely an Adderall kid all through like elementary middle and high Most school artists and then are. I went off of it probably like partway through high school and I was like I still have that same thing where it's like I'm gonna forget something I'm gonna commit to something and not show up or something along those lines but I've been fine <laughs> my fear of forgetting something makes me a very efficient person yeah. um, most people's fears can make them very it can either 
ruin you or push you. It's a hard thing. But yeah. Oh, and lastly, I guess is my calendar on that. I have everything put on my calendar. My roommate texted me uh, a picture of a calendar alert because we all share calendars among my house. Uh, the same roommate that's uh, really good at design. Another shameless plug. Not even saying his name. I just want to say like he exists. So I'm shamelessly <laughs> plugging an entity. We're talking um, about Chris Chester. <laughs> ChristopherJChester.com. He texted me a picture of my calendar alert on his phone that just said dog adventure. I literally had to remind myself to take my dog for a long adventure. I would probably remember <laughs> to do it. But like, what if I forget, run out of time and just want to take him for a short walk? No, I want to give him a big walk. He deserved it. So like I put everything <laughs> in my calendar and it's the only way I'll remember. So like. This is obviously was in my calendar, every section of my day and locations, even if like, okay, so like a great tip for a client is if a client tells you, okay, we're meeting up here at 730. First off, they might say like the parking garage is in the back, press seven, copy that part of the email or copy it when they're talking, put it in the notes section of your calendar, either Google calendar or Apple calendar. Put in the notes section. Even if you have already wrote a note for like photo ideas or client ideas, if they say to anything in the initial contact email, put it in that calendar alert. Because then when you get to that place, that calendar alert pops up. And I will tell you the first two years of doing freelance is always being two to five minutes late for everything because you time it out perfectly, but you don't factor the time you're going to take to not remember the email about how to get into the building. You'll always be just a little late. And so it's great to be a professional and then remember all the first important information that you remember about them. It's almost like the old school Rolodex where everyone's like, I have a Rolodex for every client. Mine is like their contact sheet in my phone and the calendar alert about that meetup. Yeah. And that is a very fair point. I try to do the same thing with craft shows where I will you know, create a calendar event for the show. And obviously it includes the start and end time, but I factor in an alarm and an event for the load in time for the amount of time it's going to take me to get there. I always attach the address into it. So it literally, my phone already tells me, Hey, if you want to get there at this time, it's going to, you need to leave at this time. And also the same thing, like I'll include my like booth number because mm -hmm. you always show up and you're like, oh, I'm booth like 104. And they're like, great, you can park over there. And I don't have to like pull up an email and be like, uh, I don't know, this is the name of my business. Can you find it? Oh, it's not there. Well, it's the artistic equivalent. It's the artistic equivalent of showing up at the airport and you have it saved on your phone, but you haven't saved it in the right app. So like everyone's yeah. got their tickets and you're like, oh, hold on. And everyone's like, hurry the hell up. And you're like, and you're like <laughs> clicking through and everyone's mad because they're at an airport and they're like living their life and you're taking too long. It's artistic traffic. So <laughs> be efficient. Yeah, it pays just to be organized. Yeah. To have all your decks in a row. Yeah. All the information where you need it. I mean, organization like in whatever scale you can handle in your life will make you feel better. Yeah, that reduces stress a lot. Not everyone's going to be writing whatever that book is that my brother is obsessed with about clean cleanliness. Uh, the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up with Marie one. Kondo. Yep. Not everyone can be that organized, but maybe if you read that book. Okay. I mean, I walked away from that book thanking everything in my house for its services. So <laughs> I feel like I've improved as a person. My brother like doesn't even keep things anymore. He's like, I bought this yesterday. I think I can like throw it out. I think it's done. Like he's like, <laughs> this house is emptiness. But like, you know, those books and those kind of things can help you be productive. But everyone has their thing they can do to feel productive. Yeah. The smaller, biggest scale, it doesn't matter. It's always going to make you feel better. Whatever your form of productivity is. Solid. Solid.
great. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like a lot of your freelance projects and, you know, what really amounts to, on the whole, uh, a career has been built up through a lot of personal relationships and just really organically for you through the kind of community that you're surrounding yourself with. Um, and even when it comes to a lot of those more tactical things like developing, we didn't really get into contracts, but um, just as far as learning how to price out your work as a photographer, um, to be in conversation with other photographers and to be willing to ask those questions and to kind of seek out mentors that can help you with those kinds of things along the way. Um, and I think we, we generally like to ask this question, but do you feel like you've been given any really strong pieces of advice or strategies um, from those conversations with other artists that you've really taken to heart and that have kind of changed either the way that you approach something or you know resulted in like a shift in perspective anything that you've really taken from other artists well two things I mean one is just a general thing that I always hear from artists and it's it's always I've heard a lot of people like talk to people be around people at least in my mediums and honestly in any freelance there's a person on the other end right whether they're a person for an organization mm-hmm. whether a person for a corporation or they're a person for themselves they're they're a person so like personability is something that I was always taught of from a young age but there's two specific advice that I've used in um in abstract and physical senses in music and photography that somehow have helped my freelance a lot one is that you always look someone in the eyes might seem general and broad But whenever I meet clients or talk to people, I look them in the eyes. Whenever I photograph people, I look them in the eyes. Whether they're open or closed, eyes are the main thing I focus on. So when you make that contact with someone eye to eye, you learn a lot about them. And you can really gain someone's trust just from showing them you, which is by looking them directly in the eyes. So in an abstract way, you can also take that online by just being really personable and being yourself. You know, it's so easy to just say like, thanks or like you know like someone like dms you thanking you about your work or asking you a question about your work it's so easy to just like give them like a sentence or if someone seems like maybe from the way they're they're like typing to you it doesn't seem like they're they really want you for freelance they might seem like they're about to ask you to do free work or something like that you never know so like hold that conversation have it through look someone directly at them and truly figure out what they're trying to get out of something and a lot of time you will get freelance in odd places and that's what I'll say. And you also meet people in odd places. And some of my best friends I've met through freelance photography. Some of my, and like playing shows or art in general. I mean, all of my friends I've met in one of those like three facets. Yeah. And then the other piece of advice is actually a music one that I actually use in all of it. The advice was like passed to me. So like, who knows if it's a direct quote or anywhere close, but it's some kind of like, I believe Leonard Cohen quote that my, like one of my music teachers told me that said like, the more specific you are, the more relatable it'll be. And that was, that's how I decide to make work the way I see it. And like brand myself as Micah E. Wood and make music that's really personal is the more personal I am and the more myself I am, the more relatable it will be to more people opposed to trying to make things that are relatable or trying to be someone I'm not. The more I'm authentic and doing what I would love to see, the more the people around me will want to see it. Just like if you're not confident in something, it's okay to have doubts. You have to be able to look someone in the eyes and go like, this is good or you might enjoy this. And that's the hardest thing in the world. Every artist has a bit of self-consciousness in them and they want to be like, 
it sucks. It's terrible. Don't worry about it. But like, you've got to be able to look someone in the eyes and go like, this is the best thing I've ever made. You don't have to say that you're the best because hopefully you don't, you're not that arrogant, but we're not all Kanye West. <laughs> Love him. My, my hero. But, um, <laughs> but like highly doubtful that you'll be that confident or anywhere close to that confident in your whole life. But you should be confident enough to be able to recommend it to someone or say like, check it out. And that's the scariest part of art is that moment when you share it and that moment when you have to ask someone to listen or ask someone to see it. Like, oh, you should yeah. check out my site. You know, like how many times have you been like, oh, you should check out my work. And you're like, oh, I wish I didn't say that. Wish yeah. I just said, I don't make art. Bye. You know, like Yeah, it can feel like very cringy self promotion and that's something that I need to continually remind myself is in those moments because just the other night I was at a party and I had on my denim jacket covered in patches and one of the patches is mine and we get it you party (laughs) (laughs) it's like the first party I've been to in a year okay no I'm just kidding but probably but I when they complimented it I my brain just immediately went to like thank you but it's like this is an opportunity to say thank you I made it. Yeah. If you like it, I make more stuff you might also like. And like not in a sales pitch kind of way, but just in a, oh, we clearly have similar tastes because I created this because I wanted it. Yeah. And you like it. So maybe you would like more of the other things that I create because it was one of my like vegetable pun patches. And I I definitely in that moment had like that cringe feeling of like, oh, here I am like shamelessly promoting myself. And it's like, I create something that I'm proud of and I want to be able to, well, not necessarily promote it, but convey that with confidence and to be able to say, like, I believe in and stand by the work that I put my entire life and energy into. And so it's not a matter of shamelessly self-promoting, but about believing in your life's work, essentially. Even at my, uh, this is my shameless plug, my record release show that happened last week. No, oh, yeah. Uh, Micah just dropped an album. <laughs> yeah, I dropped it right out, of, right out of my computer, right into the internet. No, but um, even then, like I'm at my release show, people are either there for my album or maybe there for me or maybe they stumbled into the room and but they are clapping after the song. So like maybe they're enjoying it or really polite. I still have trouble on stage going like, Hey, I released an album. I have merch back there, which is crazy because they just clapped for you, which is the ultimate like, I enjoyed this or at least I'm pretending to. And then you're (laughs) like, I don't do anything. Bye. You know, like, (laughs) yeah. And so it's hard even in the moments where you have the ultimate setup. And I'm not telling you to go around and going throwing around business cards or handing out mix CDs on the street. I'm just saying. Why not? I'm just kidding. I mean, (laughs) can work. Uh work for big sean um he rapped right at kanye i know a lot about kanye moving on um (laughs) but like you've got to be able to make that connection you've got to be willing to do that next step and like four people listen to my last record and it's because whenever people like oh you make music i'm like uh it's okay don't worry about it kind of sucks i hate everything and so like why would they bother listening unless they were kind of like why does he hate everything and then they listen to it but now with this new record i'm i been sending emails and i've been asking people to like check it out and like it's kind of like i feel like i'm i feel like i'm 17 again but i feel like when i was like 17 16 18 when i was like emailing bands and emailing managers and emailing venues like hey can i come photograph this show like can i please have a press pass that was everything to me at the time and that is what defined my career was people just going like sure you can get a photo pass like whatever kid 
and letting me bring in my camera like that is why I do photography and why I'm good at it now like if they just if I didn't send those emails I wouldn't have been able to do it my bubby always told me bubby is Hebrew for uh grandma she always told me it doesn't hurt to ask and it's like so simple of advice yeah. and like I'm sure she wrote that phrase <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she wasn't that old, all right? She didn't coin that term. But um, <laughs> but she was um, – that advice she gave me was, like, so simple. But just the idea of, like, asking. Yeah. Simple as, like, hey, you should check out my music sometime. You're not, like, putting headphones on their ear and going, like, listen to this. Sit down. You know, like, <laughs> you're just mentioning it. You know, like, I sent an email, and this was really, like, cool. But, like, a few weeks ago, I sent an email to Sam Sessa. He hosts uh, Baltimore Hit Parade uh, on WTMD. Oh, yeah. He's – fantastic and i've been a fan of that show for so long and i was like i'm gonna try and do a baltimore hit parade but i was like i am not qualified uh in my opinion and i was like also why would he just respond to a random email so i write an email like hey sam enjoy your work like i just released like a song on city papers website yesterday blah 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 blah. hope you have the time to check it out he responded in two minutes and said hey really odd i was just listening to this on city papers website three oh minutes God. ago and i love it i would love to what do you know? i would love to have you in next tuesday and all i had to do was send that email he would have never emailed me but probably or not Damn. for years so living that bubby truth i know bubby is always right <laughs> yeah you won't get what you don't ask for exactly yes. that's awesome just so you know so we always whichever or with every show we post some like really cool looking uh quotes from each episode when we quote that, it's just going to say Micah's Bubby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just not not even like her name, just Micah's Bubby. Make sure you spell yep. it right. It's B-U-B-B-I, Bubby. I was going to Google it. Ah, thank you. I was going to just Google grandma or grandmother in Hebrew and we're going for it. See what happens. Well, uh, speaking, of, speaking of plugs, Micah, can you tell us where people can listen to your new album and where they can see more of your photography work? Oh, yeah. yes. Well, the fun thing is all of it is at MicahEWood.com. You know, I chose Great. I chose MikeEwood.com because MikeAWood.com was taken by custom wood surfboards. And so that's when I decided I had to put the middle initial in there because I wanted to be the first thing you Google when you Google me. And I'm yeah. proud to say that I think if you Google Micah Wood without the E, I might have beat those surfboards. That's goals right there. But if you search Mikey Wood, you get to my website. It has photography and music on there. But you can also go on to Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal. I don't think you can search Ooh, Pandora. You're yeah, I'm on Tidal, like Jay-Z and Jack White. High quality audio. Yeah, if you want to pay the extra monthly to hear my album in extra quality, I think they offer that. Yeah, so you can just search Micah E. Wood on those sites. And then, yeah, basically you'll find a lot about me out by just Googling my name because that's how the internet works, right? You put things on there and they're there forever. (laughs) And there's also uh, a music video that I just released of me like basically dancing on different vehicles around the city of Baltimore. It's really beautiful. You can also get. We'll check it out. We'll link to it. Yeah, link in the bio like Pico de Gallo. Sorry, It's (laughs) it's a rap I'm really into. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, we did we did share some margaritas and guacamole prior to this interview, so that should have been a disclaimer at the fitting. beginning. Yes, that should have been the starter effect. By the way, we're interviewing More a margarita deep. Than anything. <laughs> yeah, disclaimer: We've ate guacamole. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for having me. It was yeah, a pleasure. Thank you, Micah. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. 
You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our email list where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. If you're listening to this episode via iTunes, we'd love to ask you to give us a rating and a review because it really makes a big difference. The more reviews we get, the more people we can connect with and the more we connect, the better we get. And we're trying to get real good here. Welcome to Beyond the <laughs> Studio. It's like do 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 do. Do you have any other questions? Me? No, I'm good. Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> I'm satisfied. That's all I got. I want more pie. I'm going to come all the way back over. I don't know if there is more pie. I'm so jealous. What? You made that? Oh my gosh. I was watching that's a lot a of the Great pie. British Baking Show, so I felt like the pressure was on. I was like, fuck, the girl that's on here is like 21 years old. If she can make a gorgeous pie, then at 27 I should be able to. <laughs>